Acts. We are in our third week in the Gospel of Mark. And so we've learned that Mark is one of four biographies of Jesus written by his contemporaries, people who who were there with him or who were close to people who were there with him. And each one is writing to a different audience. Each one has different characteristics based on the purpose and based on the personalities of the writers and so forth. And so we learned in our first two weeks so far that Mark is really the gospel of activity. It's the biography of Jesus that shows him on the move. All these things that Jesus is doing, and there's less emphasis on his teaching, although it is there. It's not there to the extent of some of the other gospels. And so Mark, Mark's gospel, as we read it, it kind of, it's really, it's really a great message for our contemporary audience because it actually reads kind of like an action movie script. It's moving from one scene quickly to the next scene to the next scene to the next scene. It's not lingering on any one thing. And so today we're going to look at what you might say three clips from, this, from the film this morning, three short segments. Each one of them is filled with meaning. And it's like here we are at the beginning of Mark's gospel, and you know that when you watch a movie that there's a lot of things revealed in the very beginning scenes that if you're not paying attention, you'll miss something that might be important later on. Right? And that's what we see here today in chapter 1. That there's some things that Mark touches on, he introduces us to at the very beginning that are going to be significant. They're going to be played out in, in further depth later on as we go through the gospel of Mark. Now, I want to get you thinking about what we're looking at today. To do that, I want you to consider this question, who in your life gets you and who doesn't? Maybe you've got that boss. You, know, you work all day long, all week long, and at the end of the week you go, man, that guy just does not get me at all. That, that, that she just does not understand what I'm about, and she doesn't know my gifts, or he doesn't understand what, mo- what motivates me, you know. That, that's a person who just doesn't get me at all. Or maybe it's that friend that you met, and suddenly you realize just, you just clicked, and you hit it off, and you have so much in common, and you just go like, wow, you know, I feel like when I'm with that person that I'm really understood, and, and I thought about this, often the people who get us the most are people who share similar life experiences. They've been where we are. They've been where we've been. And so I find in, in my own life, whenever I meet someone who grew up in the same religious system that I did, that boom, we all of a sudden we have this instant like understanding of each other. Like, I, oh yeah, I went through those same kind of experiences that you did. And I, yeah, I know all about that stuff, you know. We're not involved in that anymore. But, but now I totally get where you're coming from, what your journey's all about. And I remember specifically when my first wife had cancer, it eventually took her life. But when she had cancer, there were just certain people who didn't get what she was going through. That's not a knock on, that's not a fault on there. They just hadn't been there. They hadn't been inside that circle in their life. Thank God for that, you know. But, but there were other people who just totally understood and they knew and they could empathize and they would really understand what she was facing and how it affected her emotionally and physically and, and all the rest. They'd get it because they had been there somewhere in their life, them personally or someone that they loved had been affected by that same disease. And, and what a comfort and what an encouragement it was for us to have those people in our lives who really got her and really understood her at that time. 
And what I want you to understand today, from today's passage, the main thing that comes out of our, our three vignettes today is how much Jesus gets us. It's how much he really understands. He understands you. He understands your life. Why? Because he's been there. He knows what it means to be human. This is Jesus who was God, but he was also fully human, just like us. And so we can trust him with life. We can trust him with the things that we're going through. So let's read the passage. It's just, it's just um, six verses long. Seven verses long, and, and we'll acquaint you with it. I'll show you the little vignettes, and then we'll talk about how it introduces us to who Jesus is. So Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, first of all, we'll read all the way through verse 15. But one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you're my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Okay, that's scene one. Here's scene two. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. Here's scene three. Later on, after Jesus was arrested, Jesus, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And so from these verses, I want to show you what it means when we say that Jesus became one of us. When we say that Jesus fully identified with us in our humanity, what do we mean by that? And I want to show you how that's an encouragement and a comfort to us that invites us to entrust our life and our eternity into the hands of Jesus. So the first thing we're going to look at is his baptism. His baptism in those verses 9 through 11 was significant in at least three ways. We'll explore those in just a moment. But you know we saw last week, if you were here, that John, John the Baptist, as a forerunner of the Messiah, God had sent him to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah into the world. And the way that John did that he, is he was calling people to repent, calling people to acknowledge their sin and their spiritual need and to be baptized as a way of expressing their heart of change. And John then had, had said that, hey, there's one coming. I'm not the big deal, he says. There's one coming after me that you really ought to be looking for, and that's the one that I'm pointing toward. And then suddenly that one, that greater one, shows up on the stage, and Jesus appears now in the gospel for the first time. And we see that again. Here's the verses that we just read. Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River, and you can see there the phenomenon that happened as he came up out of the water, the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, a voice from heaven says, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. And so here's John in his ministry, is he's calling people to repent, he's calling people to prepare, he's baptizing people for that purpose, and people are coming out in droves, and we saw last week how, what kind of an oddball character John was, but people were still coming out, coming from the cities out to the edge of the wilderness to be baptized by him, to declare that they were turning from their old life, and they wanted to pursue God and follow him now, 
And John would take and dunk them in the Jordan River as a way to symbolize that, that their old life was dead and new life was going to begin and, and that they were, they were turning from their, their life of sin. And then suddenly, into that scenario, up walks Jesus. Now, why did Jesus show up there that day? Why did Jesus come to be baptized? Did Jesus need to repent of something? Had he been out of step with God the Father? No, the Bible tells us that Jesus had no sin, whatever, he had nothing that he needed to repent of. So why was he baptized that day? Well, there's a number of reasons. I want to share three of them with you. First of all, this is Jesus going public. This is the start of his public ministry. It's his first public action. It's the big debut of Jesus on the public scene. Now, a lot of people knew him because he he'd grown up you know, in, in, in Nazareth and around that area in Galilee. But now on a, he's coming onto a wider stage. And it's like, for example, when a business has a grand opening, they have a big celebration. Often, you know, they invite the whole community, get everybody to come out. They, they'll offer incentives for you to come. How many times have you seen like a, this grand opening in the, and they hire those searchlights to, to circle around the sky, you know, and you see the circ, and, and as, you, as you get closer and closer, you realize, oh, this is the, the grand opening of this new business. Well, what's happening here in Mark 1, in a sense, is Jesus' grand opening. And we saw that God the Father provided some special effects. The Holy Spirit came down in a visible form like a dove. Onto Jesus. Now that's significant throughout the Gospel of Mark because the Holy Spirit is always empowering and leading Jesus in everything that he does. We, sit, we saw there's this voice that speaks from heaven and it gives Jesus the approval. It, it, it bears witness what John had said already that this is the one who's coming. The Father, God the Father himself, validates and adds to that very testimony by saying from heaven, This, you're my son whom I love, and I'm pleased with you. You make, make me joyful and glad. And so this is, this is like the big grand opening that says to the world, hey, Jesus is now in place. He's now on the job. He's now beginning his ministry. And by the way, just as a side note, we see the Trinity there in that passage, right? We see the Father's voice, the Spirit coming as a dove. We see the Son, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity now in human form, is there in the river being baptized. So that gives us a, a hint uh, of this whole idea of the Trinity that's being introduced there. So number one reason for his baptism is this is like Jesus' grand opening. He's going public. But then the second reason... His baptism demonstrated his obedience to the Father. And so, and Matthew tells us a little bit more, gives some details about this. Jesus comes to John. John says, look, you should be baptizing me. You're asking me to baptize you? What's up with that? And Jesus tells John, he says, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. Jesus just wanted to be obedient to God, to be obedient to the Father. In John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus says, For I always do what pleases him. In everything that he said, in everything that he did, his eye was on what his Father in heaven was leading him and desiring him to do. And so he was baptized just simply as an act of obedience, showing what it means to be human because humans are called to be obedient to the Father as well. Now, what does that mean in particular, to be obedient? Well, I think, I think what it boils down to is this third thing. I think this is the thing that, that strikes me the most in this passage today, 
is that when Jesus was baptized, it showed his willingness to identify with our humanity. Jesus came into the world. He didn't just appear to be human. He wasn't just some kind of heavenly hologram, you know, kind of projection. He was really human. He wasn't just in a, behind a mask of humanity. He became really, truly human. And so he fully entered into our reality, into our world. He came to walk alongside of us. And so by being baptized, he's declaring, look, I'm with you guys. I'm one of you. I'm, I'm part of this thing. And he, and he shows us that by entering into something that, that humans were doing to be obedient to God. It's like, I thought about it like this. So <clears throat> when I was first married years and years ago, I entered a new family, and it was a big change. So the family that I grew up in were pretty closed off emotionally and not very demonstrative. The family that I married into was very demonstrative, very emotionally like all over the place. It was a little awkward at first, you know, but I had to learn. So I learned to be a hugger because they, they were huggers. And to, for me to identify with that new family, I had to embrace hugging, you might say, right? So that was my way of saying, look, I'm one of you. I'm going to go with this. I'm, this is who you are, and I'm going I'm to run with this and be part of this new family. In, in a similar way, Jesus is saying, I'll embrace baptism because this shows that I'm one of you. He didn't need to bapt be baptized for repentance, but he chose to be baptized in order to say, look, I'm here. I'm with you. I get you. I'm part of what you're doing in this world. So, for example, that's really important because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. See, we'll explore this later, but the, the idea is that he really needed and wanted to become one of us, to become fully one of us. And so be, to become truly human, he, he went all the way to the point of embracing baptism with us. Now, I want, I want you to understand how amazing this is. I hope you see how amazing Jesus is through, through looking at this, this one small thing, that here he is, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. He becomes human, and, and he's fully God and fully human at the same time, not just like even human in the way that, in the sense that he sat on some throne or he's up on some ivory tower and human beings can only approach him from a distance. And No, he got in our world. He got in our, he had meals with us. He walked with us and everything that it means to be part of us. That's just, that just amazes me. I hope it does you. Now, I guess the practical takeaway from this is if you have never been baptized, we encourage you to be baptized. That would be the right thing to do. Now, now baptism is not about getting, it's not how you get right with God. It's not, it doesn't save you in any way, but it, it's an appropriate act for those who follow Jesus. Now, Christian baptism is a little different from John's baptism. John's baptism is preparatory for the coming of the Messiah. But when the Messiah came, then baptism added a whole new layer to it. So Christian baptism still has within it the elements of turning from the old life to follow the new life. It's a symbol of that because when I'm baptized, I go down under the water. My old life, that's a symbol of my old life being buried. It's dead now. And they come up out of the water. That's a symbol of, I, I've risen to this new kind of life. I'm going to live a new way. 
And it's a symbol of my sins being washed away. The baptism doesn't wash them away. Jesus washes them away when I come to follow him. And all of that's similar to John's baptism. But, but now that the Messiah has come and he showed up, then baptism also then takes on this other idea that it's now identifying with the Messiah, with Jesus, identifying with him in his death and in his resurrection. So in Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So Paul says that this act of baptism identifies us with Jesus in his death. It identifies us with him in his resurrection. And so Jesus, in his baptism, identified with us as human beings. And then when we embrace baptism then we identify with him as his followers. So that's the first thing. The first vignette, the first scene we see in the film is Jesus is baptized, a vivid scene, but, but the story quickly moves on. And the scene takes us from there at the Jordan River quickly now suddenly into the Judean wilderness. And the second thing we see is Jesus being tempted. And so here... The temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, I want to understand that. Well, first of all, it was Jesus' opportunity to defeat Satan right from the start of his public ministry. And it encourages us that when we've failed, that Jesus came out victorious. And again, it also is a way of showing his identification with us. And so um, here's the, the first act of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. <clears throat> now, when someone saw the wilderness and they saw the 40-day 40 40 number there, they, they might have thought about Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. We talked a little bit last week about the significance of the wilderness. So John was out living on the fringes of, of society. And so that the 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness corresponds with it. It reminds us of the 40 days of Israel out there. So again, Jesus is identifying with fallen humanity. He's identifying more specifically even with Israel. God sent Israel into the wilderness because they didn't trust him. Because they didn't trust him. They didn't obey him. They didn't believe his promises. They didn't move forward when God said move. All these problems and issues that God was working out in their life, and so he, he left them. It didn't take only a few weeks to get from Egypt to the promised land, but they spent 40 years doing laps around Mount Sinai until God was ready to take them into the promised land because, because they failed to follow him fully. They failed every wilderness test that they faced. By contrast, when we look at Jesus, he, he passed every test that he faced in the wilderness. He resisted every temptation that Satan sent at him. Now, now, Mark doesn't give us the details. Other Gospels tell us more about this temptation experience. And what we learn there is that Jesus successfully resisted every test, every temptation that Satan presented him with. Reminds us that 
Jesus is greater than Israel. Where they failed, he succeeded. Now, the Jewish people at the time of Jesus, they were pretty proud of their own spiritual prowess and how they thought very highly of their own righteousness. And so, in a way, Jesus' experience is reminding them of Israel's history, that maybe they weren't everything that they thought they were. Israel had failed. Jesus succeeded. And so that draws us to him. That, that it's, it's encouraging because we need a Savior that when we get it wrong, he gets it right. That's the, that's the Savior we need. That's why he's qualified to be our Savior. That's why we can trust him in our relationship before God. We can trust him because all the ways that we've got it wrong, he's got it right. Now, you know temptation is part and parcel of human life. It's just part of life in this broken world. We're going to be tempted. We're going to be tested. We're going to be tried. And so again, Jesus is saying, look, I'm right there with you in that. Look, I'm fully human. He, he embraced the willingness to go into the wilderness, to be tempted, to have Satan throw everything he had at him. And in doing so, he's saying to us, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, I don't want to live in an ivory tower. No, I'm not going to skate through this life like in a sanitized version of humanity. He said, I've, I've been there with you. I know what that's like. He's truly one of us in that. That's such a great comfort to me because it means he really gets us. He gets it when I'm struggling with, with a temptation, when I'm going through something hard. I know that he gets us. And the Bible actually tells us that in, in very explicit terms in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, the Apostle Paul says, this high priest of ours, he's talking about Jesus, he says this, he's our high priest because he represents us to the Father, to God. He says, this high priest of ours, he understands our weaknesses. Like what? Yeah, he does, for he faced all the same testings that we did, yet he did not sin. So let us boldly come to the throne of our gracious God there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Now that word there, it says when he faced all the same testings that we did, that word for testing, that's the word that's used in the Bible for, that's translated sometimes as temptation. Because every time you're, you're tempted, right, that, that's kind of a test, isn't it? Well, am I going to obey God? Am I going to make it through, you know? But it's also the very same word that's used in the New Testament to talk about trials and adversity. Because those are also a, a test, aren't they? That they're going to, because we're going to say, Am I trust God with this? I'm going to continue to follow God even though this is really hard. So when I'm faced with that powerful but destructive habit in my life, and I'm, and I'm just on the verge of giving in. That's, that's one kind of test. That's his temptation. But when, when I'm faced with that situation where I was treated unjustly, and I'm upset about it, I'm bitter about it, that's another kind of temptation, another kind of trial. When I'm faced with really suffering adversity of any kind, right? Or when I'm faced with a situation where I feel like God just didn't come through for me. God didn't do what I thought he should have done. All of those are the same kind of thing where we're tested to say, man, am I going to trust God? I'm going to rely on him, his power, his knowledge, his understanding. I'm going to obey him in this situation. 
And what's encouraging, those kind of situations, life can really be crippling. Man, we can feel like, like we just got crushed. But what's so encouraging here is that Jesus faced every kind of trial and temptation that you and I face in life. Now, maybe not, maybe not in all the particular details, right? I don't think Jesus was tempted with peanut M&Ms like I am. But the same kind of temptations, the same category of temptations and trials, he faced everything. He was tempted to put other things in his life ahead of God and God's purpose for him. He was tempted to pride and power and wealth. And he was betrayed and abandoned and misunderstood and rejected. And so here we have this open invitation Because he gets us, he knows what our life is like, we're invited to come boldly into his presence and call on him for help, and he's not going to say, you know, I totally don't understand what you're talking about. He gets us because he's been there with us. He's walked in our shoes. He understands your weaknesses and mine, and so... He's dispensing mercy and grace to everybody who asks him for it when we need it the very most. Now, Jesus lived his whole life in dependence on the Father and on the Holy Spirit. And that's that's the encouragement for us. We can live the same way. We would be nuts. You'd be crazy, right, to try to beat temptation in your own strength. Jesus didn't try to beat temptation in his own strength. He drew on the Holy Spirit, on the Father. He drew on the Word of God. Why would we think that we have to do that in our own strength? We can trust him because he gets us and he gets the spiritual challenges that you face day in and day out. Come to him. Turn to him. Rely on him. And so here's this powerful principle that we're seeing in just these few short verses at the beginning of Mark's gospel. And we're going to see them played out again in Mark's gospel in the future that Jesus gets us because he's one of us. He understands what it means to be obedient to God because he embraced baptism. He understands what it means to overcome temptation. And you know we're going to see throughout the Gospel of Mark how, how he encounters spiritual forces, evil forces of, of darkness, of evil, and, and, he, and he continues to win those battles throughout. And that's encouragement to us because he... He he faces the same battles that we do. And so the third scene kind of takes us one step further. It it answers the question, so what? So he was baptized, so he was tempted. How does that apply? What are we going to do with with that knowledge? And so I want to think with you about our response. Since Jesus did so much to become like us, we should respond by trusting him. And there's no better time than now to repent and believe. Trusting him with issues in this life, trusting him with our eternity as well. And now is the time to do that. And so here in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we first see Jesus' mission and his message. Here he comes later on after John was arrested. Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. He says, man, I've got got a message of good news for you. Who doesn't need some good news? Man, 
So Sally and I just spent the last week with, with her sister and, and hus- her husband and just enjoyed their presence. We had a great time together. But they have, the, they have the TV news on all the time. It's like the soundtrack of their life. And I'm not going to tell you what channel they're tuned into, but the news is on all the time. And you know what that, that effect that it had on me is like, man, there's a lot of bad news in the world. There's a lot of junk going on. There's a lot of tough stuff that people are facing, whether it's politics or, or, or we can relate in our own lives. We have relationships that aren't good news the way they should be. They're, they're broken or they're, har- they're harmful. They're difficult. We have health. Some of us have health problems that aren't good news, financial issues that are tough to bear right now. The problem is, is that we don't really even often realize the worst news. Worse than all of those other things, that, all those things that are blaring on the television all day long, the worst news is that as human beings, we're out of step with the God who created us. That in our natural condition, we're alienated from the God who would, would, would love us. And we're just going our own way and doing our own thing and and so, you know, it's really good news when you get that positive diagnosis from the doctor. Your tests come back and they're hopeful. Or you get that bonus at the end of the year or that raise in your salary. That's great news, but that's not the best news. Here comes Jesus with the best news ever. He says, the promised Messiah is here. The time promised by God has come. And here's how to respond to that. The promised Messiah, the real solution for our deepest need is here. Remember a little while ago I read from you from Hebrews chapter 2 about why Jesus had to come. And I want to read you the rest of the verse now. We read this part before. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. Okay, wow, he became one of us. Here's why. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the, who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who've lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So he says Jesus had to become human because the answer for sin was a sacrifice. Someone had to die. A perfect person who never sinned himself had to die. He had to be human to do that. And he had to be human to represent us before the Father, to stand in our place before God. He, and so by his dying, it says he broke the power of the devil. He broke the power of death. We could talk more about the fear of death and, and how Jesus brought the solution to that so that all who belong to him live after this life is over. But the point is that he became one of us so that we could have the best good news, the solution to the problem that is the greatest problem in humanity, the problem of our sin and our alienation from God and and death and all that that brings. As you go back to Mark a second, I want you to see the first thing that Jesus says here, the time promised by God has come at last. See, God had been preparing the way for the Messiah to come. And we saw in our series last month, how people had been looking forward and anticipating for years, for generations and centuries, the coming of this Savior into the world, the culmination of God's work in history. He says, that time has now come. The time this promise has arrived, that unique moment in history 
has happened that people no longer have to wait for salvation. Now is the time to make a decision. He says the kingdom is near. He himself as the king representing that kingdom has come. Now is the time to make a decision. We don't have to delay. The time has come. And how do you do that? Well, look at the response that Jesus calls us to. Now that he's entered our world, now that he's arrived on the scene, what's he asking us to do? And there's two things that he says there, two things that I'm going to tell you are both extremely simple, but they're also both extremely hard. Simple and hard in different ways. First, he says, repent. Repent. John said repent. Jesus says repent. And the idea there is not like, oh, you've got this list of, of 10 or 20 or 100 sins, whatever, and, and you've got you to check them off and never do those sins again. No, repent is way more deep. It's way more fundamental. It's about the underlying orientation and direction of my life. To repent means that I stop following my self-directed way of life and I turn and I begin to follow Jesus. And then those particular sins, that, that becomes the fruit of repentance. That's what happens after I'd make that change of heart as the Holy Spirit works in my life. But he's calling me, calling us, inviting us to do this fundamental U-turn in the direction of our life. That's so, so simple. Because he doesn't say, go get your act together first. He doesn't say, Go overcome all your unworthiness and, and prove that you belong. He doesn't require these lists of religious obligations for us to fulfill. Just turn a 180 in the heart, the direction of your heart. But you know what? As simple as that is, that's so hard. That's so hard for human beings to do. Because that means we have to admit our deep need. We have to admit that we're alienated from God, that we're out of step with Him. We have to admit that we've sinned against God's person and against His law. We have to come to grips with our own spiritual brokenness and turn from loving ourselves and putting ourselves first to giving Jesus the central place in our life that we've cultivated for ourselves. That's hard because we don't want to let go and we don't want to look in the mirror and admit that we have a problem. That's why that's so hard. It's so simple, but so hard. We need the Holy Spirit to birth that in us. And he can do that. He wants to do that. And then the second thing, he says, okay, repent. Then he says, believe. Believe this good news. That word believe doesn't just mean that I understand it or even that I accept it cognitively. The word here has this biggest implication here is that I trust it, I rely in it, that I'm putting my life in Jesus' hands, and I'm counting on what he's done. And that's so simple, because you don't have to join a church to do that. You don't have to trust Jesus and then fulfill all these requirements. That it's not like, okay, trusting Jesus puts you at the bottom of the ladder that you have to climb. It, it's so simple because you just cry out to him, and you cast yourself upon his mercy and let him do what you cannot do. But that's so hard because it goes against the grain of the human heart. We like to trust ourselves. We like to believe we have something to offer that God would say yay to. 
You know, we, we don't want to believe that there's nothing we can do, there's nothing that we can contribute to our own rescue. It's so hard because it requires this humility before God. And apart from Jesus, we're like, each one of us is like a person drowning in the ocean miles and miles from shore, farther than we could swim. And up comes this rescue boat, and, and they throw out the life preserver. And all we have to do is grab hold of the life preserver, and they tug, tug us in and bring us onto the deck of the ship and then take us to dry land. Who in their right mind would not just simply do that? Who in their right mind would say, here, why don't you, why don't you ride alongside me while I swim these next 20 miles? But we insist that we can swim part way and then that we should get credit for that. It's so simple because it's just grab on to the Savior. But it's so hard because it requires us to humble ourselves. The fact is Jesus is enough. That Jesus is the right person for the job of Savior. And he doesn't need your help. He doesn't need my help. He's truly God and he's truly human. And he did everything that we need. And so he gets us. He knows what you're up against. You can turn to him with any problem in life, with any temptation, with any trial, with any confusion, with any decision, whatever it is, you can turn to him with any struggle, that, any challenge in your life. Turn to him. He invites you to come to that throne of grace to find mercy to help in your time of need. And you can turn to him to make you right with God. You can turn to him for your eternal need to forgive your sins and give you a fresh start. That's good news. That's reason for hope. Don't wait any longer for Jesus. Don't wait any longer to turn to him. The season of opportunity is now because everything that's needed has already been done in him. And he knows where you're at today. He knows where your doubts are. He knows the things that you struggle with. And he invites you to come to him and trust him with your life and with your eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing work through Jesus. Thank you for giving us a picture of Jesus today that expands our understanding of him and our trust in him and our, our amazement at him and our love for him as he identified with us right from the very beginning, became one of us and walked in our world and walked through our mess, walked through our challenges, temptations, trials, was obedient to you and he succeeded and so we want to turn to him today for the things that we face in life help us father god to recognize whatever the next step is that you're calling each one of us to and we look to you in dependence dependence on you father to make that real in our lives so you take it god take it in us and and run with it as we surrender and we let you do that today. We pray in Jesus' name for his honor and glory. Amen.